0: Hello and welcome to the Limbic Podcast for Rheumatology Advanced Trainees in collaboration with the Australian Rheumatology Association. This series brings together experts from across the field of rheumatology to share their insights and experience navigating some of the most challenging areas of practice. I'm Sonali Silva and in this episode we're talking about fibromyalgia and specifically the approach to treating the person with fibromyalgia. You'll hear from three very inspiring clinicians talk about how they've learned to best support their patients. They'll share tips on how to overcome some of the challenges associated with the condition, as well as discussing the rewards that come with being able to truly walk alongside patients through a journey to self-management. Today I'm joined by Dr Emma Geimer, Dr Richard Quartect and Dr Sam Whittle. Emma has been engaged in clinical care and research with fibromyalgia patients for over 20 years. She currently heads the Monash Fibromyalgia Clinic at the Monash Medical Centre in Melbourne. Emma, welcome. And Richard works primarily in private rheumatology practice. He has a long-standing clinical and research interest in medically unexplained pain and fatigue syndromes, and as he says, perhaps infamously, introduced the construct of fibromyalgia to Adelaide Rheumatology 30 years ago. Welcome to you, Richard.
1: Uh, thank you as well.
0: And we're also joined by Sam. Sam is a senior consultant rheumatologist at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Adelaide. He's a board member of the Australian Rheumatology Association and he sits on the steering committee of the South Australian Statewide Chronic Pain Clinical Network. Sam, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Look, it's so great to have the three of you here today. When we first got together to plan this episode, we talked about framing the conversation around the approach to the patient with pain and chronic illness, and how to manage that relationship, as opposed to thinking in a kind of linear way about treating the disease. Why is it important to think this way? Sam, can you tell us about this?
2: I think that um, uh, that the the way that we think about fibromyalgia, um, is really important because it, it is it is important not just for the patients who present uh, w- with overt fibromyalgia, but across the spectrum of all the patients we see uh, in rheumatology. And and the, the concepts or the way of thinking around it uh, are complex. Uh, they're difficult, and they and they are a bit different from some of the other mental models that we have um, for the other diseases that we see. So, I think it's really important for our trainees to to become familiar with thinking about these problems um, in a particular way uh, and in becoming comfortable in, in in managing people who present with um, with chronic musculoskeletal pain.
0: Richard, you've been practicing and researching extensively in this field. How have you come to define fibromyalgia and your approach?
1: Well, uh, I, I come from the perspective of uh, uh, working primarily in private practice and uh, I see uh, fibromyalgia uh, pervading the whole of uh, of uh, uh, rheumatology, uh, or basically every every part of it. Um, how do I define it? Uh, I, I view it as a uh, a, a multidimensional uh, uh, pain and fatigue syndrome involving discognition as well, and uh, and sleep disturbance, and uh, quite often quite extreme functional impairment. So much so that it's realistically uh, uh, at a, uh, at a population uh, level it's our most uh, de- uh, debilitating syndrome which we which we look after how do i approach it well uh i see it uh, as a paradigm where we have to look, look at the whole person uh it doesn't fit into uh the standard uh, linear re- uh, reductive um scientific model which we're we're trained in in acute uh, uh by uh biomedicine model of of uh of managing our practice, it's uh, uh, we're dealing in a chronic disease, uh, primarily rehabilitation model, uh, and so so we need a, a total uh, a person uh, view.
0: Emma, I imagine a fibromyalgia diagnosis comes with a lot of anxiety uh, and a lot of unknowns, and in those first clinical consultations with a patient, what are you thinking about when it comes to what and how you're communicating to your patient to make that interaction
3: better? Thanks, Sally. I, I think we. I think we have to start, and, and, and communication starts with listening in, in this patient group. And I think that making sure that you've listened to everything that someone has to say about what's going on, um, how they're feeling, how the circumstances surrounding um, you know the, 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 the clinical onset, but also in their general lives. I think listening is, a, is hugely important and hugely therapeutic. Um, Many times you you will you will come across people who who've tried to tell their story over and over and over again and not been listened to. Um, and that does lead down paths where people are investigated um, in different ways that that perhaps didn't need to happen and things and and very frustrating and people don't feel validated unless they that they can tell their story. So that's the first thing. Um, communication again is is, as I see it, um, communication of, of, of the way that you, you're thinking about the symptoms, what you think's going on, um, why you think it's going on and educating them about the condition itself, I, I believe is one of the, the biggest therapeutic interventions we, we have and helping people understand that, helping them process. It. And it's not a one-off thing, you often need to, um, reiterate um, many things o- over the course of time, or, or and, and get people to seek information elsewhere and perhaps educate themselves. So, so spending a lot of time listening, a lot of time discussing why you think this is what's going on, and explaining what what you mean. You know, you're not giving them a a, a disease label with a cure. This is this is. The way you talk about, you know, you, this, is, this is a, a, a way of, of how, you know, the present state of function of someone's central nervous system, it, it's quite a different sort of, um, I guess getting back to, to Richard's idea that this is not, not a sort of a mainstream idea or, or disease model. And so people need to get to wrap their head around that too. Um, And and sometimes I have very preconceived ideas about what they feel is going on. So just discussing what they feel about it, how they're thinking and and trying to realign um, their thoughts and their expectations is important. And to get them on board with that self-management is hugely important. How involved I am. I think that the involvement is very early on quite intense like that with the idea that then you can sort of communicate the need for them to, to, to take some of this, um, this self-management on board. And really, um, once they understand and they're able to explore more ways and take more ownership of things and have that more um, sort of personalised or internal, that, that locus of control, that, that internal sort of sense that they can do something about it, um, that something to influence their symptoms is hugely powerful. And so I then try to slowly step back after that.
0: Thanks, Emma. And Sam, what about you? What really counts in those early interactions with patients?
2: Yeah, I think um, uh, I, I'd probably make a couple of points around this. Firstly, I, I really want to reiterate a couple of the things that Emma said, and that and that is around the importance of, of listening. And I think um, whenever we see someone with fibromyalgia, it's, it's often um, uh, complex and challenging, and it can be, um, it, it, it's It is a real challenge to do do the fibromyalgia consultation well. And and one of the things that we often default to as as clinicians when when it's stressful or we're finding it difficult is that we start talking a lot, and so one of the things I say to, our, uh, to my trainees is, is to be mindful of the compulsion to explain all the time. So compulsive explaining, and we often see with the trainees that the, as soon as they've got a handle that this is fibromyalgia, they start talking at the, the, the patient and saying, "This is what fibromyalgia is, and this is everything I've ever learned about fibromyalgia," and and they and they and they talk and talk and talk and talk, and that uh, and that comes from a very well-meaning place, but in fact, what what we need to do the most particularly in those early interactions with people with fibromyalgia is really listen deep listening um, as as emma said so um, that takes practice um, it, it's a skill um, and and it's something that i that i really try and
0: uh,
2: reiterate to my trainees and 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 similarly um, if if we think about fibromyalgia as as being a a form of a uh, some some sort of expression of a of a of an evolutionary tendency to a threat response then our use of language is really important and we in medicine we we often inadvertently or or unconsciously use use language terms that are threatening and and it's really important i think for trainees to have a think about the words that are coming out of their mouth we see it most obviously in in um, in radiology reports we've all seen ct spine reports that say uh degenerative this and bulging that and and we and we, if, it's clear that that sticks in, in the minds of people who read their own reports, which is everyone. But we often inadvertently use that language ourselves. So we we talk about degenerative changes or degenerative this and that. And, and those terms, um, they're metaphors, but they're powerful metaphors. And so I think that uh, being alert to our own language and trying to convert those metaphors to, to to less threatening metaphors can be a very powerful therapeutic tool and and it, and that's um, that's a relatively easy thing to do in the clinic. You just have to pay attention to to your own words and think about how how you can use those words in a way that's more constructive so that we ultimately reach the goal that that Emma's described, which is that the the patients become empowered to be their own um, best self-managers.
0: And Richard, in your experience, what's the biggest thing a clinician can do for a patient early on?
1: That's a very uh, profound question, of course. Um, I take a slightly different approach because uh, I work uh, more closely with general practitioners uh, at a secondary uh, level uh, with, uh, with, with, uh, with primary care clinicians. Uh, and I perceive the need is to uh, provide the GP as well as the patient with a, with a, a general support system because what I think these patients need the most is uh, uh, supported uh, uh, support in, in their self management, and that 's actually a potentially lifelong a lifelong uh, uh, commitment if we 're dealing with uh, so-called primary uh, fibromyalgia as distinct from uh, uh, a hopefully relatively transient response to uh, a, another another illness, a so called concomitant or or, uh, or comorbid uh, fibromyalgia. So, um, I'm, I'm heavily, I have a great interest in, in models of care uh, out in the uh, community, uh, I try to uh, realise that my role is, is to facilitate the patient to access those, uh, uh, th- those uh, different ways of, of supporting themselves. Unfortunately, Medicare is not well designed uh, for managing uh, chronic illness. Um, Uh, In in primary care. We have uh, limited access to allied health uh, professionals. Uh, So I'm interested in uh, uh, directing uh, patients to uh, constructive uh, support groups, both uh, within Australia and internationally, uh, because that's what they need into the long term.
0: And so Richard, as a rheumatologist in private practice, what does that longer term involvement in a patient's journey look like?
1: I occasionally, if not more than occasionally, uh, hear the story, I've been diagnosed and dumped by a, uh, another rheumatologist. Um, that's why I've come to see you, uh, that is me. Um, diagnosed and dumped is, is, is what, the, what the consumers say. I see uh, my role as uh, uh, in, in private practice is a little bit unusual that I actually di- do not diagnose and dump. Um, uh, I think that having uh, uh, a role as a say consultant physician in seeing these people intimately say once every three months or once every six months or or if they're doing quite well once every 12 months is, is valuable. The reason is that uh, uh, having worked in prior practice for 30 years and seen uh, at, a, at a close level how uh, what the knowledge base in musculoskeletal medicine of uh, general practitioners uh, uh, is in general. Um, general practitioners, first of all, don't have time to go into these complex problems deeply. And secondly, their knowledge base is very low. Um, You really need uh, uh, someone with a high level understanding of internal medicine and someone who can also skillfully examine the musculoskeletal system, which GPs can't, uh, to intimately see these patients, especially if something uh, something different is happening because they actually do develop uh, other things. Uh, other things develop. Uh, a subgroup of them uh, sooner or later develop uh, a recognisable autoimmune disease. Um, they develop neurological problems, small fibre neuropathies, uh, with, with with symptoms which puzzle even our our, our neurologists, uh, because there is no diagnostic test. Um, and 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 I think uh, uh, a an ongoing, uh, a ongoing relationship for uh, for supporting these people. Uh, professionally is is actually very worthwhile and very cost effective.
0: And Emma, I'd like to turn to you here, what are your thoughts on the longer-term management of patients?
3: I think it's um, a little different, I I work purely in the public system and I think that that's a slightly different um, situation. I tend to find that um, many GPs are managing their fibromyalgia patients really well, actually. And the ones that come through to me in the public clinic are perhaps a little different to the ones that Richard will see in private. And um, I think that there is a role certainly for keeping um, an eye on things. If if, if something smells a little bit like a seronegative arthritis that might be brewing, keeping an eye on things um, for a longer term may well be really, really Um, important Um, you just get the sense that you know sometimes things things are brewing that that are not overly clinically evident yet I think that in the public system I I can't hang on to everybody Um, I just I just can't I have two-year waiting list as it is and so I tend to try and help people till they're stable whether that means that they um, are self-managing really well and, and, and effectively and have a great toolkit to, to manage players and, and, and sort of um, alterations in the circumstances. If they're, if they're on medicines, making sure that we're stable on that. And then generally I refer them back to the GP, what they have um, sort of communities, psychology, community exercise, all of those things in place usually. Um, and they can be referred back if, if things are changing, um, but I, I can't hang on to them long
0: term. Sam, you also work in the public setting. What are your thoughts here?
2: Yeah, I think uh, I work in a similar situation to Emma, and I, I agree with what what the other two have have already said. I, I think there's no simple answer to this. It's very complex. There are um, there are social and political factors at play that that are um, not easily overcome by the individual practitioner, and, and ultimately. Um, you know, when we talk about management, this is primarily a, a self-managed um, condition, and so the, the 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 concept that that I sort of have in my mind and that I try to impart back to the patients is that they'll be walking the path. Of this disease, uh, and and we're not doing things to them. We're simply trying to walk beside them, and there there'll be some patients for whom I need to walk a little closer, and others where I can just drop in and out. Um, and and so, it, it is it is the case of trying to set up the system that's that's most supportive for the individual patient in terms of their um, capacity for self management, and and also empowering the GPs and other. Uh, other practitioners to to support the patient uh, in the best way possible Um, and in an ideal world we'd be able to do that much better than we currently do Um, but in the real world um, sometimes we have to make some some compromises Um, and so there are some patients uh, whom we see more often than others for various reasons and there are some patients uh, for whom we, we haven't probably come up with a model that works yet and we do see people who fall through the gaps and I certainly, in the in the area where I work in public practice, the the people the people that I'm most worried about uh, are people who don't have English as a first language because we've got we we really struggle to provide the best service for them.
0: Richard, I know you too have said that there are groups of patients that you worry about falling through the cracks.
1: Yes, uh, to that I like to add a sub uh, a subgroup of patients which concerns me greatly, and they're ones which have fairly significant, if not very significant uh, uh, formal psychiatric diagnoses um, uh, with, with relatively florid uh, uh, disease, uh, uh, florid reactive uh, mental illnesses, such as uh, people who are bipolar. Um, uh, these people uh, uh, tend not to be, of course, to be very financially uh, uh, well, well supported and very dependent on the, on the public system. Um, psychiatry, Uh, Mainstream psychiatry is is slowly changing, but they they, they tend to be ambivalent about these people and tend to ignore their pain and and fatigue issues. We have another problem that uh, as pain clinics are structured, formal pain clinics are structured in in this uh, nation, uh, pain clinics, uh, at least public hospital pain clinics, do not take people on uh, for uh, uh, long-term management, uh, primarily because they, they don't have the resources. They, they tend to be seen in, a, in a, an acute, relatively acute crisis, but of course, six months down the line and not, not in the middle of it. And then, then they promptly discharge. And so, uh, so people who are especially in that, in that situation uh, using public pain uh, hospital uh, uh, clinics, uh, plus have uh, prominent psychiatric disorders tend to be served very poorly and they're, they're very challenging patients to see.
2: And can I add to that? Uh, I mean, I think Richard's really said a lot of profound things there, and probably two things that that just spring to mind while we're having this conversation. And 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 one of them is uh, is that we've we've probably just painted a fairly bleak picture of of how things can look around the fibromyalgia, and and it can sometimes feel that way. But the flip side is that it shows you what an opportunity we have to make a big difference in people's lives, and I think this is a thing that's often overlooked. Um, when we come to treating fibromyalgia is because we don't have uh, a lot of highly effective pharmacotherapy it often uh, people can have a quite a nihilistic view of of um, of treating fibromyalgia whereas in fact uh, often these people are are in such difficult situations that even even the smallest acts uh, and you typically not act of prescribing can make a big difference to people's lives so that the sort of advocacy that Richard describes can can be hugely important and incredibly rewarding so it is a very rewarding area uh, of of medicine um, to be in um, and so I'd, I'd, I'd strongly encourage rheumatology trainees to really try and embrace this this area of their practice.
0: Now Sam I wanted to ask about the unknowns in fibromyalgia. Now, of course, this is a condition described as unexplained chronic musculoskeletal pain. How do you explain that to patients, and how do you, as a clinician, handle the ambiguity?
2: I, I certainly know for myself that when I first became interested in Sarah, I found this incredibly difficult. You know, what is fibromyalgia? What causes it? What, what's the pathophysiology of it? Why don't? Why doesn't it make sense? Why does everyone have a different theory? And what I what I have found, this just works for me is that sometimes just dropping all of that causal thinking uh, out of your consciousness for a while and just accepting uh, the complexity of fibromyalgia as a, as a whole-of-person complex phenomenon can be a really um, effective way of actually just moving, moving ahead with, with, with being a, a useful partner. So the, <clears throat> the, the causal thinking is super important for all of us who've got a scientific interest in this. But at the same time, when you're confronted with the, with the patient, sometimes just accepting that there are there are paradoxes and complexities that we don't that we can't really explain um, putting that to one side and then just focusing on the person as a whole person uh, with a whole set of um, personal uh, pain experiences and other symptom experiences who exists in a particular social context uh, and then focusing on, on, on that. Uh, person embedded in their own social circumstances can be a really good way of actually just getting on and doing things um and and then that that loops back to where we started which is just listening to the person's story really carefully and really closely um it becomes the fundamental act
0: yeah thanks sam uh emma how about you what are your thoughts on how to help patients and doctors come to terms with the things we can't explain about fibromyalgia yeah,
3: i think when when you start out particularly if you're a young doctor it, 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 it's it's Quite anxiety-provoking feeling that you. What can I do to help this person? This is. I'm in the business of of making people feel better. I'm in the business of fixing it, making it go away. Off you go on your life. Everything will be better now. You've seen me, and it's 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 quite um, that that's slow um, maturity of realizing that you actually can't change everything, but that's okay, and people are not needing you to to. Fix everything per se, um, but support them through and help them develop the tools to help themselves. I think is 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 challenging, and it's something that we learn as doctors ourselves. I think that's a a, a really um, important thing um, that takes a long time to learn, um, and it's 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 difficult. But I think it's 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 a lot about us too. And I, I want to reiterate what Sandra said. It's 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 looking at at this individual person and and the the whole person in their context and fibromyalgia is sort of um I guess part of the, the the fabric of 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 their general experience it's it's sort of it's 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 flavoring everything that they um are going through and to really have a think about that and, and try and, and, and understand it, that empathetic walking in, in their shoes sort of aspect and, and really thinking, well, okay, these are the challenges they're facing in their life. You know, how are they doing that together with the symptoms they're experiencing? Once you start to understand that, you, you can start to, to think of, of, of how this is influencing them and then how you can support them going forward.
0: Richard, I'd like to bring you in here and ask you about priorities and goals for treatment. Where do therapeutics fit in, for instance, and what other therapies do you rely on?
1: Um, well, we need to go back to the whole person approach. Uh, having a diagnosis with uh, an understandable um, uh, uh, a reason for why they're having the symptoms uh, to be validated, actually have got something which is recognisable, that they are not alone in the universe. Uh, is is very critical because this is uh, a very can be a very confronting uh, problem to have to deal with as as an individual. Uh, I find uh, using s- uh, uh, systematic exploration of uh, conventional and slightly unconventional uh, medications in low low doses can help a, a major subgroup of these people. Uh, mobilizing uh, mobilizing uh, uh, self management programs through through uh, support groups uh, and using uh, uh, the GP to, uh, to set up uh, uh, Medicare enhanced primary care plans and uh, Medicare mental health plans uh, can be uh, critical to stabilizing the situation, uh, to give the patient a sense of uh, control and to be able to learn more, of their, uh, learn more about their, uh, their, their condition and help them uh, move on in life.
0: Richard, you touched on the exploration of low dose therapies in certain subgroups. Can you tell us more about that?
1: I sort of fall into uh, a need to be a, a strong advocate, uh, making sure everyone's in the loop uh, letter wise, communication wise. Uh, it's very difficult with a, with a, a non responsive uh, public hospital pain clinic uh, set up, which we have here in South Australia. Um, uh, and I try uh, uh, to uh, stabilized situation, uh, unfortunately, with I, unfortunately I have to use low-dose uh, atypical narcotics in these, in these patients. And I'm often the only one who would actually step up to do that. Everyone else has been frightened uh, to do that, uh, but someone has to stand up and, and take responsibility. And with these patients, I find sadly no one has, uh, uh, until I come along, seems to, seems to step up and take responsibility.
0: Richard, thank you for sharing that challenge inside to patient care um, involving a lot of advocacy there. Emma, what's
3: your approach? I really can't get past that multimodal approach to, to therapy. I really can't get past that. You know, sometimes medicines help some people um, and we're getting a little bit better at, at using medicines, but people being um, moving, that that level of of gentle aerobic level activity is important and psychological strategies. Having all three on board, to me, makes the biggest difference. Having active, proper uh, psychological strategies to manage a lot of the stress that's going on. I can't always change social situations. They can't always change social situations. But to try and dial down that distress and to try and work through that with, with psychologists and Having active management sort of um, approaches in that way, together with improving their their um, their exercise tolerance and their and their movement, um, as well as perhaps needing pharmacotherapy. But in my in my opinion, that's that's the least um, least important thing um, in many ways, and really doesn't help terribly much unless they're doing the other things as well. So. I really feel that that multidisciplinary approach is, is still, um, as far as I'm concerned, the most helpful.
0: Sam, you've talked before about finding the joy in these encounters with patients and how you flipped your own internal paradigm about the condition, which has helped you become better at protecting patients from the excesses of modern medicine. Can you tell us about this?
2: Yeah, I, I'm increasingly... Um, Slightly worried about uh, um, overdiagnosis and overtreatment in, in medicine in general. And I think that uh, people with fibromyalgia are, are often vulnerable to this. And, and, and that's, this is one of the reasons that I'm an advocate for the use of fibromyalgia as a, as a concept or as a term because it often helps to unify a a set of disparate experiences that a patient might have uh, in terms of regional pain syndromes or various other symptoms, uh, which are often over investigated. So it's not unusual for us to see patients uh, who've had uh, imaging of just about every every different body system um, by the time they get to us. And then simply by the act of making a diagnosis of fibromyalgia, thinking about things through that prism and then saying that we don't need to continue to investigate this with uh, with CTs or MRIs or ultrasounds of the shoulder or any of the other things that are of uh, almost no value to the patient, then that, yeah, that can help to firstly, um, remove uh, an actual uh, biomedical threat to them, which is the overuse of radiation or the uh, overuse of medications. But it also takes away that some of the, the, the threat metaphor, which is that, you know, if you keep investigating someone uh, with imaging or, or other investigations, it keeps sending a message that there is something uh, fundamentally wrong Uh, that no one's yet been clever enough to diagnose and that that fruitless search for some sort of underlying um, reversible cause is is one of the causes of a great deal of distress in people with fibromyalgia so um, I think that by by making the diagnosis, um, by having a clear concept of what it means to an individual and how it ought to be managed that can um, that can really reduce people's reliance on the, uh, on the, the, the biomedical system um, itself, which is, which is beneficial to the, to the patient um, and to the community.
0: Now, Richard, I'd like to bring you in here because I'm reminded of something you've said before, and I'll refer to my notes here. And that is that you view fibromyalgia as the ultimate physician challenge because it's all ambiguous, and the art of being a top-skilled internal medicine physician is to be able to manage ambiguity in a productive manner.
1: Yes, I think um, managing patients with, with fibromyalgia is uh, what the quintessential uh, is the quintessential art form of the internal medicine to, uh, physician. Uh, you need to balance uh, a scientific knowledge with uh, a knowledge of the uh, a knowledge and appreciation of the human condition, what suffering is. Um, To move these people forward, you need to uh, uh, be able to communicate with them, but you need to know your science. You need to understand your medications. There are treatments which are slowly evolving here, um, uh, including medication uh, uh, approaches. Um, You need to be up to date in in research, ideally. Know what's going on uh, around the world. Uh, To me, it's a very rewarding uh, and satisfying part of, of being a rheumatologist to look after these people.
0: Richard, is the landscape around fibromyalgia changing in the current era? Is it still considered a controversial diagnosis?
1: Yes. Yes. Um, uh, the fundamental problem here is that uh, 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 people confuse association with causation. Now, uh, we've we've sort of um, alluded to a little bit in this uh, in this podcast that uh, a, a lot of these people have uh, uh, are psychologically distressed, and um, uh, the question is, what is the relationship between the two? 30 years ago when I started out, it was clearly uh, a linear relationship between psych- psychological distress causing their, their physical symptoms. And uh, to move out of that paradigm uh, is, uh, is not that easy, but we've got uh, growing uh, cross-sectional data uh, in the literature of unequivocal um, uh, biological changes in these people. Uh, and we've got, uh, uh, but but these uh, these data need to be converted to, to, to longitudinal data to convincingly show, in a in a scientific sense, that this uh, uh, that this disorder is, is just not all uh, in their heads, as is often uh, quoted in lay terms. Um, uh, so, uh, and of course, um, the interesting fact is, until the last six or seven years, uh, all was uh, it, it was only in the last six or seven years that uh, all medical textbooks in the English language general medical textbooks which uh, which um, uh, medical students had access to uh, have had a chapter on fibromyalgia prior to that there were no uh, uh, there were only uh, some of them had chapters uh, uh, and uh, and so so there was a problem it was thought not to be uh, part of the remit of of internal medicine. Um, so, so medical students are aware of this, but their, but their uh, mentors and senior, uh, senior colleagues uh, out in practice
2: aren't.
0: And Sam, what do you think?
2: Uh, well, we know empirically that it's considered to be the lowest prestige disease uh, uh, when you rank uh, diseases. Uh, so, so it is still a, an issue, and there is still a stigma, and stigma is important to people with chronic pain. So, we need to keep fighting this fight. I think we have made progress, and. I think all of us who are involved uh, in in teaching uh, and in advocacy, we keep trying to fight that fight, and I think we're we're making steps. But I think we uh, it's really important that we continue to advocate for for people who uh, who suffer with with fibromyalgia and similar conditions.
0: Look, there's so much more to talk about here, but we are over time, and I just wanted to briefly talk about something that I know everyone here is very passionate. About, um, and that's applying the meaning behind the term phrenesis into practice. Sam, can you tell us about this?
2: Sure. So, um, so phrenesis is a is a Greek term from uh, from. The time of Aristotle, and it and it describes exactly what Richard um, described, which is uh, uh, practical reasoning. So it, it's a it's a contextual form of applying knowledge to an individual circumstance. And um, and uh, if we're going to speak Greek philosophy for a little bit longer, uh, it, it, it's distinguished uh, from epistema, which is the the Greek term for for sort of fundamental knowledge. So that's your textbook knowledge, is your epistema. Uh, and that's what we. Teach our undergraduates and, and appropriately they need a, a certain level of that and that's what we teach our, our basic trainees to some extent but uh, for the advanced trainees who've got all of their uh, written exams out of the way and they've got all their epistemo lined up the next step is to then turn that into phronesis which is the which is the ability to apply that knowledge to the to the individual circumstance um and and that that's truly the the fundamental art of uh of medicine and and it, um, and treating people with fibromyalgia is that is really the epitome of, of where that uh, comes to the fore so that's that's um that's what i think is most important in managing fibromyalgia um and i, I might i might add that it, it's it's fascinating to me uh to to have, to be speaking with these other other two today because we come you know we've all trained um in different places and in different ways uh, much of, of what we talked about today isn't part of any sort of training curriculum and yet we've got very similar views on how we ought to uh, manage this condition and I think that that tells me that uh, that it's, it's our patients who've actually taught us uh, how to manage fibromyalgia uh, because we've come to a very similar place so that can only have come back to us uh, from our patients Uh, and in fact Emma's approach that she just described is so close to the approach that that I use in my clinic where we talk about um, building a a treatment structure that's that's founded on three pillars and those three pillars um, are movement, uh, sleep and thinking and and, uh, we talk about getting those things in place first and then we build pharmacotherapy on top of those three pillars but until they're in place we don't even talk about pharmacotherapy so I think we, we've we've all got a very similar uh, approach to that and that's um, really reassuring actually um, uh, and also fascinating.
0: well it's been such a pleasure and a privilege talking to you all. thank you so much for joining me before we go any final thoughts for trainees listening today
3: I think I think first of all not being afraid or anxious about it themselves um, i think we're getting good at recognizing it and as sam was saying then then the the knee-jerk reaction is oh i can't know what this is here's here's your education um here's here's what it's about and and i, I and and actually just stepping back taking the time to know it um, and to own it a little bit and just feel your way through it with each individual patient i think that's that's very important and and having an approach just don't Freeze. It's it's like anything else, like in rheumatology. You know, the the low back pain. You've got you, you see that on your on your clinic list, and you think, oh, but actually don't, because you've got your approach. You've got you what questions you ask, what examination you make, and you've got your your strategies, and you've got you in your mind, you've got your sort of flowchart of what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. It's it's no different to anything else like this, and and so to. To look at it as an opportunity i think sam said to 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 look at it as you got you got the chance to actually help someone properly you know in and perhaps they've not been helped properly before i think it's really really important to, to to step up and really really put yourself into it properly um and 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 take it on board in a serious positive way thanks emma and richard
1: keep an open mind to uh uh, for the possibility of uh, these sort, these this group of disorders in, in all your patients, be interested in the, uh, the human condition. Every patient is interesting, even with uh, just um, uh, osteoarthritis of, of the big toe. How how people how people respond to adversity is fascinating. You'll actually learn some things for yourself how you run your own life, uh, and keep a uh, keep an interest in. Uh, in in the growing uh, literature and, and the science of what's going on here.
0: And finally, Sam.
2: Uh, well, these two have been really profound. Uh, so I will simply say um, embrace complexity and embrace uncertainty.
0: Thanks again to my guests today. And if you'd like to hear more, don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast app. You can also sign up to receive regular rheumatology news from us at thelimbic.com. And from thelimbic, thanks so much for listening. I hope you'll join me on the next podcast.